I just made it you myself. Take, you, you, you took two double stuff. <laughs> you removed the ends. I you did. layered said double stuff together, and now yeah. you have. So how, you made it two double stuff. How anabolic are these, Dave? Not very. Just no. They look. They look. I think that they look. I think they're pretty anabolic. They have to be. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear. I'm Scott McNally. I'm here with S2H as always. He's our resident expert on all the weird and random compounds that exist in bodybuilding. We got a question. Who was this S2H guy in the last episode? So that's the answer. And uh, we're back again with Dave Kalick, um, prep coach. And I, Scott, I'm going to tell you, he's like the mayor of bodybuilding. I haven't told this story, I don't think, but last year at the Olympia, we were walking around at Meet the Olympians. Dave was like, yeah, I'll, I'll meet you there. And so we're walking around. And I was like trying to get over to get an interview with Brandon Curry because it was about to end. There was like 10 minutes left. He's like, yeah, we'll just walk straight over there. Like every three feet, somebody was like, Dave, what's up, man? Everybody had to stop Dave and say hi to him. Like every single pro that was in the entire place. So I didn't realize it, but Dave is like, uh, he's like a bodybuilding celebrity. Did you know that? It just, it just shows how old I am. Actually, it just proves how old I am because I've been around for a while. But again, I'm an old motherfucker, and that's why that's why I know everybody, just because <laughs> I'm old. Yes. So anyway, uh, let's get this thing started because I know we had a topic. We've got a bunch of listener questions. You guys, if anybody watching on the live feed, if you want to post questions, feel free. Um, but before we get to them, we did have a topic. The topic of the day is the value of protein in bodybuilding. I know that it it really is going all the way back to basics, but Dave, you got some really good points about this. Can you uh, can you begin to elaborate for us? Yeah, I mean, I think um, if you're trying to grow, um, I mean, this is just very one to one. But I mean, it takes protein. It takes adequate protein sources um, for advanced bodybuilders, or even just people who just want to put on a lot of size. I mean, it's not necessary. The one you know, one gram per two pounds of body weight is not necessarily going to cut it or get it, get it done. Um, I mean, I think it's going to be the most important, you know, the most important, I mean, basically, you know, essential fats and proteins are what builds muscle. Um, and I'm not saying there's a direct correlation between the amount of protein and how big you're going to get, but I'm kind of saying that there's a direct correlation. (laughs) Um, you know, I, and I think that, um, protein counts should be progressive as you go along. Hmm. You know, um, I'm just going to give you just an overview. Um, for example, I'm going to use Adam Young, my 212, as an example. When we started working together, he was a light heavyweight. Um, his protein, we took about four to five weeks to be progressive with his protein. Um, he turned into a heavyweight really quickly. And this is not any change in gear you know tons of gear this is literally like upscaling his protein counts and you know and fats and everything like that as well um dorian going from heavyweight to super i can the list goes on but the best example i can give you would be uh stan mcquay um so keep in mind stan was you know he was the division was originally 202 then it went to 210 and then 212 um stan had gone on and qualified in each of those divisions for the olympia with, with wins but his metabolism so fast, but in order to create his 212 body, because he was never, believe it or not, never over 202, 203 pounds on stage. But I mean, I'm talking about a lightning fast metabolism. So just for him to just be bigger and stay big, believe it or not, actually, he had maxed out on 10 ounces of protein per meal. Hmm. And he's 
we're talking about, you know, 198 pounds. Eating protein counts, of, that would be like a super heavyweight. But it took him that much protein to have that to develop that much nitrogen in his muscle, where he could actually stay voluminous and grow it into and be into the you know be big in the class. You know, yeah. Um, the reason why I'm saying it's interesting, there's a correlation to size, is because when he when the classic division came out and his cutoff was 75, 175, he'd literally be 25 pounds later. You know, we, we had to like make a miniature version of him. His protein ca- counts came down to six ounces. Hmm. And that's the only way where we could actually like devolumize them, if you will, down to that kind of weight category. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very often, people starting off season, I want to get bigger, I want to get bigger, I want to get bigger. And they said, okay, let me see what you're eating initially. And they're eating like just six or seven ounces. And these are people, presumably heavyweights, or wanting to get way bigger. Right off the bat, I'll start increasing protein counts before I even think about necessarily carbs or fats. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, to me, you want to start with, if you're going to make, Look, you need a you need a caloric surplus to grow, right? Um, make sure protein counts are high enough. Otherwise, you're just gonna if your protein counts are high enough, it's gonna lead you to be able to handle higher counts of carbs. Yeah, you know, um, protein is also more metabolically stimulating other compared to fats and proteins too. So, and this is just a very vague overview, and we can break it down more specifically. But yeah, that's my take on it. Let me ask you this: so let's say let's say I'm eating like five meals right and then i decide okay i want to up my protein can i just eat a shake too would that be like like honestly like in your opinion would that be would that be like a a good route to achieve the goal of getting more protein in okay now i get 50 more grams at the end of the night i slam that shake or is it something that you feel like incrementally through the day would be better i think it should be incrementally through the day you know i'm not saying go and eat you know a pound of protein per meal I mean, some people actually, there's different levels of assimilation. See, some people can't, you know, I mean, I wouldn't put, you know, middleweight on 12 ounces of protein. You know, it's not like that. But, I mean, it's better to me to add, you know, let's say you're, let's say someone's at six ounces, okay? Maybe, you know, a week later, take it up to six and a half ounces per meal and then go to seven. It can take, you can take some time to go to, let's say, eight ounces, let's say, if that's the goal. Uh, for that particular person, let's say we're talking about, you know, someone who's, I don't know, 180 pounds and they want to become, you know, they want to put on 15 pounds of muscle and they're eating six ounces of protein. Yeah, I would have them come up to eight ounces gradually, but I would do it incrementally. So that extra shake you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely, first of all, you're positioning like a hydrolyzed weight post-workout is great. I mean, that should be there for the most part as it is. I mean, although some people I have just eating a big meal, like right afterwards, you know? Yeah. But I mean, um, yeah, I would be progressive, like, you know, then seven ounces and then seven and a half ounces. And I would take maybe, you know, six week period to get up to eight ounces where the meal feels like how you were when you're eating six ounces. I mean, imagine like you build it gradually and then, you know, the person should be looking at the clock for the next meal. They should be hungry enough. And I want that effect at eight ounces the way they were at six ounces. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I followed some of your advice with that it, with my own protein, and then I've carried that on and, and done that with some clients and slowly, incrementally pushed it up. And I found that if I go too fast, then I'll see they start to they'll start to take on like a negative effect at first. You know, like like somebody who basically looks, yeah, they look a little tighter in general. You know, they look they look good overall. You know, and you see them growing, but then you add like too much in. Like, so like I, 
say like I took somebody who was eating six ounces and then across the board, we added like an additional one ounce to every meal. I've seen it happen where they've kind of like softened up and yeah, bloated a little bit, but mm-hmm. then maybe in two weeks, then their hunger starts. Maybe their hunger isn't as there, isn't there as much, but then yeah, two yeah, weeks it's like, later, it's like they, they adjust, you know? Yeah. It's like my, my analogy is like, you know, you're building a campfire and you put kindling and there's kindling, you know, when you're a kid, the adults build a campfire, excuse my corny fucking analogy, but I use this analogy too. Yeah. And then there's twigs you put on the fire. Then all of a sudden, you know, the adults put these big, big logs in the fire. And, you know, the kids are like, what the fuck? Where'd this fire go? Excuse my analogy, but once those logs catch fire, in other words, once you start becoming, once you metabolically pick up from the challenge yes. of having extra protein, yes, then all of a sudden you're less bloated, you're hungrier between meals. Yes. And, you know, that's what you want. I mean, I even, when people are getting ready for shows, I mean, if they're getting leaner and leaner and leaner, by the way, that's a great time to be progressive with protein as well. Yeah. I mean, if you can upscale calories, if you can be progressive with calories while someone's getting leaner at the same time, that's the best position you could be in. Cause you're, then you're like literally growing into the contest. Like that's how I view it. Yeah. What about, uh, no, I'll pose a question. I've, I've got thoughts on it. This is a question that a client for me, uh, a client of mine had for me. Um, she said, but what about like, you know, when you get protein so high, then some of that is going to convert to carbs. How do, how do you know how to deal well, with that? Well, she's right. I mean, for example, like if you're eating, here's the whole point. Like if you, if you would have no carbs in your diet and you're a male, let's say you're a male body or female bodybuilder and you're eating, there's, there's enough protein there. Like if you're for, if the female is going to eat more than four ounces per meal, it takes up to five ounces. I mean, and a bodybuilder, a male bodybuilder is eating, you know, 10 ounces, nine, eight, eight to 10 ounces. You're going to, there's going to be gluconeogenesis from those, from those proteins. There's going to be some glucose production. Absolutely. As yeah. a matter of fact, when we talk about people being on keto diets, bodybuilders, you know, it's not really true ketosis yeah. because, you know, you're kind of teetering back and forth between ketosis and gluconeogenesis. So if protein counts are high and you're, even though if you have fats attached or you want to call it a keto diet, I just look at it it's like it's a carb-free diet. You're gluconeogenic, tinkering back and forth from gluconeogenesis. You know, that, that's that's how I look at it. Um but your the the listener question is exactly exactly correct. There's going to be some translation into glucose, of course. Yeah. But think about it this: it's not the abrupt, it pancreas pancreas spiking, insulin spiking, effective taking down, you know, simple carbs. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get sure. a glucose spike that way. It's going to be, how do I say subtle, it? Um, Glucogenesis is very subtle. That's that's correct. And yeah. you can you can use gluconeogenesis, low, you know, like zero low carb patterns for days here and there or week to, to get you actually get you sensitive to carbs because mm. you're not spiking. Yeah. 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 So you're able to, you know, and, and, and not only that, then now you're getting more food in and you're in, and like you said, you're not spiking as much. I imagine yeah. that increasing that protein and I'm just kind of thinking out loud here for myself that you could, now you're increasing food without having a negative impact on insulin sensitivity, really. Not the same you would if you were to add carbs. Exactly. Like, let's say, I mean, even the off-season, I'll have someone who's like, you know, if you want to use the word bulking, whatever, out of nowhere, and I think this actually goes back to one of these listener questions. Sometimes, like, in the off-season, out of nowhere, I'll just purposely, okay, your carbs are cut in half for the next week. Boom. To create (laughs) sensitivity. Or I might even say, hey, let's go carb-free for the next few days. I might put a couple, some fat to compensate you know, to compensate 
calorically. Yeah. But I do that periodically sometimes to retain sensitivity so you can keep working with higher carbs. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know it's kind of overlapped these topics, you know, off season, you know, but the goal off season, one of the goals for off season should be to retain insulin sensitivity. You don't want to be storing, you want to be growing. You want you you want great response to carbs. You know, you don't want to have some of it storing. So you want you want carbs to be broken down with protein and you want glycogen loading your muscles. You want to have energy for training. You want to have recovery. Um, you want to have shuttling if there's, if there's insulin, being, you know, but you don't want to have storage. Yeah. So sometimes everything is great. I'll just say, you know what? Fuck. For the next week, let's literally cut your carbs right down the middle. And then I see a really cool effect. They might come down, you know, four pounds, whatever. But then the next, the very next week, they get a really cool effect going back up again that we can keep going. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, with 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 just fats and proteins, you're going to maintain a much more stable blood glucose level. It may Absolutely. not be as may not be as optimal as you want sometimes, but much more stable. And so Absolutely. you know you're you're not having you know, that's that's what you know Dave's about. You know, fixing if you have insulin sensitivity problems, or you know if you if you ride the if you ride the fat protein train, you stay very stable. And I mean yeah. anybody that's um, like a listener can think of it this way. So you've been on a really clean diet, even though it might have some carbs in it for a long time. And then all of a sudden you go out and eat a bunch of ice cream and crap. And all of a sudden your, your blood glucose spikes goes way up and comes down. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's what you're trying to stay away from. You know, that, that's where the effects yep. of just the protein and the fats keep you more stable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly right. And like it's, it's Scott, you're exactly. It also, it's funny because when people do like the uh, Atkins, like let's say Atkins, you know, like they're just eating like fucking pork rinds and all that stuff. Yeah. You're, that's not a great way for the listener, by the way. That's not a great way, great, great way of establishing or maintaining sensitivity because those fried saturated fats yeah. are horrible for insulin sensitivity. Hmm. You might not be spiking at the time, but you were not creating sensitivity. You're fucking throwing it off. And that's why like the worst combination for people, people get, get type two diabetes from, fried foods with sugar that's just the worst fucking combination so just keep in mind what scott and i what we're talking about is we're talking about good fats healthy fats it's not like okay i'm gonna go keto for a couple days yeah i'm gonna eat you know pork rinds and you know all that other like uh, atkins kind of style stuff you're, you're just gonna throw it off and then when you do have carbs you're gonna store it and like what scott's talking about you know when you have those massive spikes that's where that's where the storage comes from um and yeah you know, with just fats and proteins, I mean, you're not going to feel like a million bucks out of the gate, but eventually you do have the benefit of, of feeling glucose. Yeah. You feel stable and it's kind of cool to have stable blood sugar when you're on tons of gear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just feeling good. You know, no, seriously, seriously, you know, and then, then you go back on some carbs and it's like, well, you get a cool effect out of carbs and then you have a carb diet and that gets you sensitive to just using fats and proteins. You can go back and forth and you can translate that all the way through prep. So that's how I see it. Yeah, it's good. No, I, I wanted to talk about this because it, it's something that I feel like it's been something that's made a lot of sense to me uh, in the last year. And I had I had been not as focused on my. So from 2017 till now, I spent a period of that time like post show, you know, competed at the end of 2017, November. Uh, I, I took some downtime from really focusing on bodybuilding as much to focusing on clients, to focusing on the shows, mm-hmm. the podcasts and stuff. And this last year now, I've been getting back into it. And I can see 
the direct relationship in my own life with increasing the protein and seeing what that does. I used to push the protein harder, but I'll tell you what, man, here's the thing is that I feel like protein is probably, it's less comfortable to push than eating an extra yeah, half a cup of, of rice. You know what I mean? Of course it is. And, and that's what like, see, I think people really, they think like, okay, off season, I, I get a, you know, caloric surplus. I got to develop, you know, tons and tons of carbs. Yeah. And like, you know, like, so I think some people focus too much on just like how many carbs they can get in. Okay. I'm going to 900 grams of carbs a day. I'm going to use carbs, all this stuff, you know, and the protein counts. And they're wondering why now you can blow up and get voluminous and get way bigger on the scale quicker. If you just eat I mean, tons and tons of carbs, you know? Yeah. You know, like, and, you know, you know, all that stuff. But as far as like actually growing more like raw tissue, you might, people, you guys might want to evaluate your protein intake. Now they're just like, okay, well, like you're eating 900 grams of carbs a day. Like, where do you go from there? Yeah. You, you want to, do you push more? Do you know, it's in the carbs. I mean, I, I hate the expression. It's such a cliche. There's no such thing as an essential carb. And I like carbs and they're very purposeful. And so does Scott. We, and we use carbs for our clients, both Scott's, but, you know, progressive protein counts. I mean, the real, the most massive bodybuilders in the world for the most part, let me just tell you, they're eating a lot of protein. Okay. I'm not saying you need to be Kai green and eat, you know, you know what I'm talking about, Scott, you don't, you don't need to necessarily mean, you know, like Kai, something like, you know, 700 grams of protein. I'm, I'm not saying it needs to be like that, but man, it's really just, it's pretty one-to-one to really evaluate. Well, so, your protein counts. You know, you brought a point earlier about nitrogen. So you need protein for protein synthesis and for nitrogen and you hear about yeah. you know steroids testosterone increases nitrogen retention well you have to have nitrogen retain yeah so that's why protein exactly. is the key ingredient so right. you can if you're eating lettuce and taking gear you're not going to get that much out of it because you have no nitrogen to retain the androgens exactly right. you don't have anything to, to to work with so you know that's a key part is having it but you know you can you can have you know, everyone's got depends on your muscle mass your size metabolism you know there's a there's a, a right a right amount for everybody but i like what yeah. dave says he likes to play with it and kind of like feel it out and i like that too you kind of go hey let's push it a little more but maybe come back down yeah. let's see where we're at mm-hmm. and see how people react mm-hmm. to it i think one of the things yeah. i look at is someone gets really gassy from a lot of protein mm. we either got to switch the kind of protein or maybe the pro exactly. we're at a level where it's a little too high yeah exactly. so if you're like the fart man that might want to reassess it yeah, exactly. And guys, as you um, and gals, as you guys are progressive with the protein, proper pH, like gut pH, is, mm. is huge. By the way, um, so I mean, I'm really into the kombucha at the very least, acetic acid, either from a couple of tablespoons of apple cider. You know, I know it's kind of like granola eating sounding stuff, but honestly, proper pH is really good. And also, um, if you're going to like these really high protein diets, lots of poultry, lots of fish, beef, and stuff like that, eventually the good gut bacteria digestive flora is going to be behind aggressively, you know, compromising bacteria that that's going to inevitably develop in your gut. So man, probiotics pro, rounds of probiotics should be positioned sometimes. Um, things like fermented food sometimes like, you know, kimchi, I know it sounds gross or sauerkraut or even pickles. Like these are actually foods if used in conjunction with a good probiotic round, and or like, you know, again, I mentioned kombucha, like it's really great. That can really help you neutralize and I think work better um, protein absorption and tolerance. But Scott's exactly right. Um, if there's gas going on, you might be, it's either A, it's too much of a high count or B, exactly. Like some people like out of nowhere, like, you know, some people chicken, 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 
Mm. It's interesting. I find that with pol- with poultry sources, it seems like like after a while, people just like reject chicken, you know, yeah. quicker. You know, I think for some reason, you know, and I think it's I'm not saying you need to eat fish all the time, but salmon, grass fed beef, ground turkey, you know, like it, they might you just you got to play around. Um, that's why one you know, I mentioned protein combinations because you know for simulation rates, but yeah, if you're really really gassy, there's digestive issues. Either a back down or revisit what protein sources and do a process elimination. I think that this ties right into protein combinations. So what would be so that that would be one of the values then of of combining yeah, like okay so like, like one one reason why mixing let's say if someone let's say someone has eight ounces of chicken like for some reason you know just the amount of uh, that amount of chicken all at once can be daunting digestively on the ig track yeah so why not you try mixing it you try putting let's say you know four ounces of whitefish with four ounces of chicken um breaking up grass with beef there, there's just different tools of playing around it's kind of like a rubik's cube hmm. so you want to look at Scott touched on it, you know, amount and types. Play around with it. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for watching another podcast here at Think Big Bodybuilding Media. And thank you to our great sponsor, TrueNutrition.com, for making this all possible. TrueNutrition.com is owned by Dante Trudell, the creator of DC Training. He wanted to create a supplement company that offered high-quality third-party tested supplements at a fair price. High-quality protein powders, just about every type you could think of. Huge variety of flavors, plus health and performance supplements. Check them out, TrueNutrition.com. And hey, if you use our code ADVICES, you directly support our podcasting. Thanks, guys. Let's get back to the program. <laughs> hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear. I'm here with S2H and Dave Kalick. I'm Scott McNally. Of course, our programming is brought to you by True Nutrition. You could use our code ADVICES. We've got a bunch of listener questions. And uh, anybody who's watching the show, you're welcome to uh, to drop some questions here in the live feed. In fact, we have a question in the live feed, so I'm going to take that one first. Uh, this is from Stefan. He says, um, I'd like to ask if I'm going from blast to cruise, how do I adjust my AI uh, during the transition from one gram of test E uh, per week and one milligram of Arimidex every day to 200 milligrams of test E uh, per week uh, to tw- in 20.25 uh, milligrams of Arimidex every other day? Should I slowly decrease the AI? Uh, during two to three weeks because of delay of esters or how should he handle it guys? I mean, basically for the first two weeks before those, all those half lights dissipate from the long, you know, keep the Arimidex where it is. But then once you're at just 200 milligrams, obviously it sounds like your, your maintenance, your TRT, if you will, then it's my opinion that you would, you would position um, one milligram of Arimidex only 12 hours after the injection once a week, there's, I'm not into breaking up the, the, the testosterone shot into like 100, 100. I'm into just once a week, it's a depot testosterone. 12 hours later, take one milligram of Rimidex. And then after three weeks, check your estradiol level like two days after that. Just get labs. See where your estradiol level, see what kind of estradiol level, see what kind of aromatase control you have over just one milligram of Rimidex 12 hours post-injection during TRT. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I mean, you want to—that's a lot of Arumidex, though. One milligram yeah. every day is quite a bit. I mean, if you're if you need it and your labs look good, hey, you know, go for it. But that's that's quite a bit. Um, yeah. I'd say you know, stand, keep the Arumidex the same for a couple of weeks. I'm going to yeah, kind exactly. of veer off from Dave's. We're going to disagree a little bit here. 
I find if you inject when you go to the 200 milligrams, you inject Monday, Thursday, 100 each, you get better blood stable, you know, stability levels. Especially if you're a person that struggles with estrogen control, you know, you start having problems with it. And I like the same thing 12 hours after the injection, bring the Arumidex in. But I'd do the the point. Man, if you're doing one milligram, if you're doing one milligram a day on a thousand, I'd say you probably need 0.5 on Tuesday, Friday, so the, the morning mm. after the injection. You know, but get your labs, look at it. I mean, I did a lot of blood work over the years because guys on forums and we compared them and everything and competitors, all this stuff. And I just found that a hundred for most people Monday and Thursday brought more stability, not only in testosterone levels, but estrogen brought a better balance mm. to it. So, but you know, it's, it, 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 there's people that take one shot every two weeks, me now, cause I can't remember half the time yeah. it holds <laughs> off pretty well. So, you know, but get those labs, check them out. If you don't know how to read them or anything, feel oh, free to definitely. send them in on the show. We'll look at them. We'll talk about them, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I started my cycle up. I was supposed to do 900 milligrams of test per week, Dave, but I, uh, I'm only at 600 for the same reason. Scott's only on 200 every two weeks. <laughs> you can't remember. Cause I forget. I just, and I don't like, <laughs> honestly anymore. I used to feel excited to do shots and I don't like doing them anymore. I don't want to do shots. I don't want to start moving around to different sites and stuff. I just want to keep it simple, but I got the 600 and I started up, uh, some mint, uh, trust. Oh, there you go. I yeah. take uh, my TRT injection is every Tuesdays. Every Tuesdays? Yeah, well, that's that's my day. Yeah. I, I had to re-recruit my wife to give me injections because I can't eat. My shoulders are so scar tissued up. I can't go there. And I just get tired. Of, like, you know, like you said, Scott, I, I mean, I'm like about as motivated as to run out on the road and get run over by a truck and take a shot. So cool. I get her to do it. So I got one in the glute about an hour and a half ago, and I've got like a little bit of a a little bit of a ball rolling around there. Uh, what, what do you think of mint? Because I know, like, this is this is for anybody who hasn't watched the show before. This is where Scott shines is when it comes to talking about stuff like splitting up your TRT or uh, you know dosing AIs or weird compounds like mint. Mint's gotten popular in like the last two three years. It's been it's hit a stride again. Real but, popular when it was legal too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But which one are you? Which one are you talking about, though? You talking I'm about using the injectable. Yeah, I'm using the injectable, the long-acting, uh, the e, the enthate version. I mean, I think it's a good complement to what you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I mean, I'll tell you this: some people that have blood pressure issues, I'd stay away from mint. Really? Why? Yeah. What does it do? It, I don't know if it's hard on, on if it has problems in the kidneys with the arteries, but it tends to. It's it's kind of similar to any of your any of your really hard androgens that people tend to have that have BPH. Yeah. Let's say you're run, let's say you run high normal blood pressure normally. Yeah. Me, you start taking mint, you start taking, you know, trend, uh, these, some of these no esters exactly. that, that into the bloodstream quickly, uh, um, you know, um, halitest and, you know, things like that. You start running into some, some BP issues. Um, I'm going to say it's probably oh, yeah. kidney related hmm. most likely, but, um, for you, I think, I mean, if it's good, I mean, it's a pretty clean drug. You know, I mean, you're not going to get, um, you know, you're not going to get a bunch of conversion out of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think there's anything worse than taking steroids if you have to, if you have to take a ton of AIs. I think that's an alarming thing right there. Mm-hmm. If you're having yeah. to take a lot of, especially Arumidex, and I'm not knocking on the questions that's really, but if you have to take a lot of Arumidex, yeah. that, try to get aromas in first so your doctors will do that. Not a lot of them will. Yep. 
but uh, you know, the negative effects of Rumidex are, are pretty pretty severe. Um, you know, I, you're I not going to get that same LDL HDL problems with the yeah. lungs and as a suicide inhibitor, safer. I asked the question here. I said, uh, "Ment dosing." I put this on Facebook or Instagram stories to see what people said. I was like, "Ment dosing." What do you guys suggest? A hundred milligrams per week, or two, or two hundred milligrams per week? And it's like split down. Oops, there we go. Split down the middle. <laughs> Literally split down the middle. Two hundred. I'm gonna do. I think a hundred. I think I'm just gonna yeah, keep it at a hundred. I'll keep it at a hundred. I think I'll see how it works, and then. Um, I have some really good Anavar, so I was thinking about adding that into the plan. But I wanted to get this rolling first and, and see how that goes. I think it's a good icing on your cake. Yeah. yeah just, you know, if you want to put it that way. That's carbs, by the way, Dave. Icing cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I figured people would want to hear, though, a little bit about meds. Well, better, so. better, off, better off you're using the enanthate version because the quick-acting one, you know, like. Yeah, that's a little tough. It won't do anything. Like, you know, these, these Scott mentioned the noestrin steroids, you know, whether it's trend noester, test one, all it is, it doesn't matter which one it is, whether it's trend, trend noester, test noester, all it is is just a rush of, an, rush of androgens for like a 90 minute period. It'll make you stronger, spike your blood pressure. Uh, you're not going to build any muscle from those compounds because the half-life is just, is just not around long enough. There's no binding, receptor binding enough, androgen receptor binding or acknowledgement where you're actually going to build muscle from those no estrogen steroids and well, they sound sexy six on paper. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, just... I mean, Dave, you're not a young guy. I'm not either. Remember suspension days? It's like bang, yeah, bang, but bang, bang. you sticking needles in like... you all day long. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, like you well, suspension different because that's just basically just raw estrogen. And like what when I we took I suspension, know, I just got remembered. You you blow up like yeah, it makes you bigger and heavier and stronger. Like of course, like right then. But I just mean, but that's just different. I mean, but as far as like, but even with the um, with the suspension, the test suspension, suspension, I think it gives you amazing volume and strength while it's in your system. But I don't think it's actually going to build tissue the way like a long estrogen steroid in the background because I think it has to like the half. It has to just lay there for a while. Um, just like I mean, I know it's not very old school, but like just like to me. 700 milligrams a week of test propanate is not going to build muscle the way 700 milligrams of enanthate would or sipanate. I just, I can't be convinced otherwise. I just, uh, because you there's need something about you need, you need conversion. You, you know, need conversion. conversion. Part, you part of it. Exactly. Like, in other words, you need, there has to be an aromatase, there has to be that activity going on. I mean, that's what creates, and that's how you get more finished DHT too. I got to tell one suspension story. It'll be short. All right. So I was doing suspension like crazy. So like shoulders, quads. So I started doing my traps. This is when I was really lifting heavy. So I stuck suspension in my, in, it was my left trap, left trap. Ow. By an hour later, I go to the gym and I'm doing like shrugs, like 405, tank top on. I'm like, and all of a sudden it's like a, it's like a, it's like a baby goat got milked. It was like, I had a little geyser come launching out of my trap. You're kidding like me. Like whitish pussy. It was the suspension coming back out. You're kidding me. No, it was like a little, it was like a little, it was like just like a little spray. It, it cool, must not have gone that far. In, wow. Clearly it didn't make it where it was going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, Good I mean, Lord. Yeah. Good Lord. It was a little naughty when I started it, you know, I was like, ah, well, suspension is naughty anyway, but you know, I used to mix it up with some, some other stuff, but I, this was just a straight up one. I was like shrugging along and all of a sudden, 
And my lifting partner's like, what the f- what, is that a zit? I'm like, I don't know. It's like squirted up in the air. I was like, it was a suspension. Pretty cool. We laughed. Um, that was funny. Kind of resembles yeast infection. <laughs> well, it's not near my yeast infection area, though, so I was pretty sure it wasn't that. All right. Let's see what we got here. Um, ooh, we had uh, we have a, a Slayer question, actually. Slayer. From Bob Brown. He has two questions. Uh, well, I'll start with the fitness-related question, then we'll go to the Slayer question. Um, he, he's, he's an older dude, 65. And uh, he wants to bulk, uh, but everything goes to my belly. Uh, what does he say? He says, uh, you know, what should he do? He says, go heavier, six-day split. He says, I'm currently doing three full-body workouts and two legging body part isolation workouts per week. What does he mean all this weight? Does, like his, he gains fat in his stomach? Yeah, yeah. Well, his insulin sensitivity. Kind of like the conversation we had earlier. Uh, yep. Take growth hormone. That'll fix that. But, You're joking, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean the older, older you get, you know, the weight goes to the middle. You, you start losing, you know, you start having blood glucose issues, stability, insulin sensitivity. It happens. But, you know, I don't know. Especially at 65. I mean, here's a – I know this maybe not the sexiest answer, but start off with labs. Get a full endocrine panel. Get a comprehensive metabolic panel. See where your thyroid levels are. Take get fasted glucose. I mean, like you can things might be off the charts where maybe there is a thyroid problem. Maybe your your fasted glucose is one twenty. You know, maybe your A one C is through the roof. You know, I'm just speculating. But I mean, especially that age, um, pick and choose your battle when it comes down to calories too. Mm. Um, maybe you do need to lower. Maybe to get a caloric surplus. If we go. I know it's like the you know. Um, broken record with you know using fat sometimes calorically in place of tons of carbs but you know you might have to reevaluate per our discussion earlier your sensitivity it's not, for me scott sounds like right off the bat it, it just screams like a loss of sensitivity issue mm. that in your conversion your natural conversion aromatase from your what's you know when you get older your testosterone your aromatase enzymes increase and you increase more of your natural testosterone to estrogen in men, a lot of those receptors are in the stomach area, you know, so no doubt. And you'll, yeah. Yeah. So that's you know prostate area. So uh, I'd get labs and check it out. You know, if you're eating clean and you're working out and stuff and you're putting on weight in your midsection, definitely labs would be the start. Yep. No doubt. And um, other question is, so for starters, so we got a Slayer question here. I need to give the audience some background. Dave, how many Slayer cost, or concerts have you been to? Since 1990, 58. 58. 58. We're talking about, keep in mind, my wife and I, we were flying to different cities. And, you know, over the years, that's like a midlife crisis kind of thing recently, especially last three years. They retired last year. But, yeah, 58 shows since 1990. 58. You were at their um, last show uh, even, weren't you? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, a lot of traveling. And, um I can honestly say that I do definitely have some hearing issues uh, because, because when they the play indoors, ridiculously loud. Yeah. Um, so 58 shows Dave, since 1994. I was talking with Dave one time, Scott, and uh, he was telling me about how he got kicked out of a Slayer concert for being too rough. <laughs> well, 
I, I actually was in a mosh pit at a Rage Against the Machine concert, and they told us to calm down. Like, this was like in this country. This was like in the last year. This is like in the last yeah, this, year. This, this, this is two years ago. So <laughs> I actually, I love, we, we I love this guy this. more every time I'm in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> so this was uh, two years ago. Um, we're playing this playing at in or in Denver. I dragged Dorian to it. Um, although he's he's now a Slayer fan. Um, he's a musician too. He's he's into it. So we. Uh, this is outdoors and this is like a fiddler's amphitheater where they normally have like bluegrass concerts and stuff like that. Yeah. So anthrax opened up and then it was land, it was anthrax, then lamb and God and Slayer. So I got to admit, I have anger issues, uh, whatever. So, um, <laughs> during anthrax, I started when it gets going, I kind of hold, I can't really hold back. So I started evidently according to the security, I was throwing a couple hammer fists. So they gave me a warning. Um, and I was chill. And then when Slayer came on towards the end of the show, some guy just like barreled into me, whatever. And like, he's like elbow hit my face, whatever. So I'm not going to lie. I kind of started driving through the pit and kind of checking him a little bit, punching him while I was doing it. And then they removed me from the show. Um, and they gave me, well, they said, you know, we gave you a warning and they said we could technically press charges cause you're striking and all that. So yep. There's that. That was two years ago. All right. So favorite Slayer album. Ever. It's a big tough, question. Man. It's a big question. I don't see a more challenging question than like the <laughs> than any of the bodybuilding ones, huh? <laughs> than the bodybuilding questions. Yeah, I mean, I man, I I'm sorry. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you two. I'm sorry. Okay, um, that's all right. That's all right. I gotta say, rain and blood. Yes, that's yeah. yeah that's you know, saying. yeah. I mean, you can't like no. When that came out in 1986, I mean, first of all, just that, that had to be delayed for a couple months because there was legal issues with with you know Rick like the Rubin various and the, exactly and there's like because they're the various sacrifices and, that were being made to no yeah the there's also they're talking about so they thought there was um because the song angel of death talks about joseph mangala and the jewish defense league whereas they were upset mm. about that and so just the the whole app alone of that just how it was just couldn't be released right away and then when that came out that album to this day i mean it hasn't been duplicated as far as intensity cool. and speed yeah um and then I would say, um, I got. I just let's just put that as the, as number one. Okay, fair that's, enough. That's we'll that's, get... that's, their, that's their steroid heaven. That's their that's their meat and potatoes right there. Steroid. All right. So we'll get into a little bit of uh, insulin and growth hormone here. Betsy's hanging out with me, scratching her collar. Um, this is from Ryan Charles. He says. Um, through the years, we've seen mutants, mutant and base killer. It's a bass killer. Is it bass it's killer? killer? Yep, All right. it's bass killer. Uh, post on the oh, he was the uh, he did the uh, that was old school, right? He did like the he did like an insulin thing. He did a trend a trend pellet thing, didn't he? He's done a lot of things. Yeah, I remember him now. Uh, importance of injecting timing uh, with insulin and growth hormone. How much does it really impact IGF levels as a whole in the big picture? Okay, wait. First of all, he injected the pellets, the trembolone pellets, like for cattle in under the skin. No, I think he had a uh, he had a, a he talked about the recipe for. Can you put the question back? Oh, for converting it. Yeah. I'm not. I'm really going old man here. I can't read it. Huh? What? I, I just those glasses. Man. Yeah. So you remember that back in the day, like the first time that I ever ran trend. This is going to be something that like anybody who's new 
anybody who's from the Instagram era does not know about. You used to buy Trend legally in the little that you'd get like this little plastic cart of pellets, and each little strip would have like a dozen little yellow pellets in it. And you take a um, you take a, a, a what do you call it a paper clip and you'd knock them all out of there and you'd put them in a vial and a, you know and then you'd put your solvents in there and you dissolve them and then you put them through the <laughs> coffee filter and then you put these oh, other solvents the in days it. of old the days of old and I then you would in, and then you would inject it into your body that's how you did trend and it was like literally it came out to like you would end up getting like a big. I, I want to say like 20 milliliters of the stuff at 75 milligrams per milliliter <laughs> for like 40 bucks. That's my story. Yeah, if that. Yeah. And don't put it on your skin. No. Or you'll be yellow. Yes. So what, know, what do you guys think here? Really as far as using question. Yeah. Bass killer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Take it away. Well, is, there a direct, Go, is there a direct correlation between using growth hormone with insulin to create higher, higher hygiene levels? Does it is it yeah. gonna matter? On yeah, your if you have insulin in your system, if you have insulin in your system um, with growth hormone, your liver will produce more IGF. Okay. Um, I think it's they complement each other very well. Dry. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really the whole effect of it. I mean, I know this sounds very one on one, and like, sorry for the listener. Sometimes, when let's say Scott and I or either Scotts, when we answer your questions, I know sometimes it's not again the sexiest answer you want to hear, and I know it's very blunt and frank and cuts to the chase sometimes, but that's just how we like to talk about it. Because um, there is only one good slayer There is conversion to IGF. Yeah, your IGF levels come up, but if you use insulin in conjunction with it, you're going to get more of a profound effect okay. of that hormone. Um, let's see. I'll go back over here to the questions that came in on the feed. Um, more insulin. We'll skip that for now. We'll come back to that. Oh, how about this? Another PED question. PED, PED use for the average guy likes to lift heavy and look good while doing so. Here's one thing I'm going to tell him. I don't feel like there's much need for cosmetic drugs that you would take at the end of a contest cycle like Winstrel. I would much rather, if you're going to do a cutting cycle, for instance, as an average guy, here's my thought. This is, the, and this goes to like, because I work with a lot of people who are non-competitors that just want to look like they pretty much are the best that they can. They want to look great in the summer or whatever, you know, when they cut down, they're working hard, but they don't feel like getting on stage. There are certain drugs that you can only take for like a limited window, you know, either they're a pain in the ass because you have to inject them constantly or they're going to be really liver toxic instead of like, like, so like no real reason for halo, for instance. But if I was going to do like a cutting cycle, then why not use like a mast E versus a mast probe? And that way, just bam, you could do that for like 10 weeks straight and you could get that effect for that extended 10 week period and if you're in shape by then, by the time you start it, you're going to look good for that whole time versus, you know, just slamming something for four weeks. It's like, you know. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the people like and they, they make a mistake in the off season. They use like there's no need to, there's no need to use trenacetate or, or masterone propionate and oral winstrel in your off season. Just because, again, you're going to have more cosmetic hardness or look cooler in the gym. I know that sounds like kind of grumpy old man stuff, but you're better off, honestly. They're used to it. Don't worry. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just uh, 
I mean, eat, pay more attention to your diet. I know this sounds very generic. Pay more attention to your diet, maybe implement some cardio so that you're leaner while you're doing all this. So you look, quote unquote, look good as you're doing it, as the, as the question was posed. Um, anytime you can, and Sky, you made a really good point. Anytime you can avoid using quick esters, avoid them. Um, because first of all, for health purposes, the quick esters, there's more side effects with the quick esters. There's more side effects with DHT derivatives. There's more side effects with the, with the sexy drugs. There just is. Um, and if you can avoid them at all costs, what's a good PED in that case? I mean, I would, for me, you would use, if it's a beginner, believe it or not, I mean, DECA doesn't sound so amateur, but DECA could be is a great first level nandrolone steroid to use before just some people that you hear about these 18 year old kids and they're doing a shot of trend every day. To me, it's like, where do you go from there? Start off with using some DECA and some tests. I know it sounds very old school and old fashioned, very 1980s like, but you can get a great effect from taking for your first cycle, 600 milligrams a week of tests and 400 milligrams of real DECA. And you might even be able to get away with like Novadex with a, with a CERM, with a selective estrogen receptor modulator compared to aromatase inhibitor your first cycle, depending on what's happening with estradiol. Um, if you're kind of a recreational, like, you know, weekend warrior kind of a person, that sounds like the question of the listener is, um, again, man, I would pay attention. I mean, maybe some Anavar to free up some free testosterone while you're doing your testosterone, whatever, but I would really just or maybe some Mastrone and Anthate, as Scott mentioned, something like a, just long estrogen stuff, safer. Um, I, and here's and the thing. Overall. I think here's yeah. the difference is that somebody who's competing, their goal is to look a certain way on a certain, on one day, you know, or right. maybe it's several days if they're doing several shows. But, you know, the concept isn't about walking around looking awesome. I mean, I think some people think it is nowadays, and but but the reality is, if you're competing, your goal is to look your best on one day, and that's the reason that we set the cycles up the way that we do, and everything's going to culminate to that look your ultimate on that one day. It doesn't really matter what you look like those other days, if you're flat or whatever. You know, if you can take a cycle where you're going to look good, feel good too. I think that's another aspect. Take a cycle where you feel good, then I think that those things you're going to end up. You're going to end up having a much more successful, fun time, and you're going to enjoy the experience and the process and, you know, get to get to enjoy. Like if you're cutting and you're on master on anything, you only have to take it twice a week and you're going to look good for that whole duration versus like just throwing it in for the last six weeks, you know? Yeah. And like, and like, honestly, you're going to feel like shit on trend. Yeah. You know, like just yeah. it's on, it's on, I mean, I, it's, it's crazy. I just let me someone. Like to the, the question, the listener, I would just say what I'd say to most people that are just want to use some gear and they go to the gym, normal life, just take 200 milligrams of testosterone, sipionate a week. Testosterone's king. There's very few people in the world that I'll ever have natural levels that 200 milligrams will take you to. If you want to split exactly. hairs, I actually like three three uh, ester sustenon the best for somebody like that because it gives you kind of a short yep. middle long ester. But that's all you need, you know? I can't agree. Oh I can't agree more. You know, it's so it's just amazing to me. Um, I really wish sometimes that there are more questions. I know I sound old fashioned, but sometimes I just wish there are more questions. I mean, they're all great questions, guys. Don't worry. And we like we we have we're passionate about how we answer them. But I just wish there was more nutrition and training questions. I mean, again, these questions are great, and gear is obviously a huge coming. part of it. Those are coming. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing, too, Dave. 
we get into spurts, I think, where it'll be like all GH questions. Scott knows this because we've done this for literally oh, yeah. almost 100 episodes now. But, uh, you know, we'll, and then it'll be like all training questions and it'll be like all growth hormone, DMP. you know. Yeah. All DM. We had a yeah, string no, no, of all DMP yeah, questions. And I love, I, I love, I love, I love talking out. Um, I love talking about all the stuff. And Scott, you know, as well as I do, I like to put on my nerve, my nerd glasses, even though. I'm a, yeah. But I mean, um, yeah, I guess I just, but it's like, it's like how the way Scott just answered, you know, like it's basically like, you know, you can't go wrong with using some testosterone test is king. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's not, again, that's another like, it's not an intricate. It, I guess it's just a very basic answer for. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to throw out my PSA I've given before. If you're if you're getting your your gear not from the doctor and you're not well versed on some of it, what you might think you're getting is probably testosterone anyway. So true. You know, um, just go with tests. It's simple, works, and all that. All right, I got a diet question for Dave. IIFYM versus meal plan approach in the off season or for general population client. Do you have a strong preference or more success slash adherence with one approach versus the other? I'm thinking about especially of those uh, with a busy uh, non-fitness related career or with their family and kids. I think you have to strike a balance. I think you're going to need, in that case, certain some variety. I think there should be structure to foods, but you should have it where, let's say, meal seven is, let's say, you know, just or meal five, whatever, either seven ounces of grass-fed beef or seven ounces of, let's say, salmon or, you know, things that are more interchangeable so there can be more flexibility in the busy individual. But I can't go as far as saying if it feeds your max because to me it's like, let's say we're talking about, okay, the goal is to get in – 250 grams of protein a day if you want to meet your max and you just did weigh isolate at 250 milligrams it's 250 milligrams 250 grams you you're going to be limited to how you look and how you respond to let's sure. say just weigh isolate. like you need a variety and to me i'm not a if you guys don't or know, know already i'm not a meet your macros kind of person to me food behave differently yeah you know i mean almond butter behaves differently than avocado um Chicken to me behaves differently than fish. Um, you know, sweet potato behaves differently. So it's really, I'm very much into that's when I put together food patterns. There's, to me, there's purpose of the foods. But someone like this who's not necessarily wants to be tied down to a fitness lifestyle or is busy and, and dropping the kids off, you know, at practice and, you know, and it's hard to run around there to keep one sane, but also to make progress, there has to be flexibility. I mean, there could be in the morning, let's say, you know, oats or Ezekiel bread, you know, or cream of rice. You know? So you have options. Or, yeah, you have options. Yeah, there should, be, there should be options. But specifically, like, not just 50 grams of protein here with 25 grams of carbs here. Like, get have structure. Because yeah. then also with structure, you have a point of reference. Yeah. Let's say you're trying to figure out what's bloating you. Like, you need – I'm recommending that there should be flexibility, but yet enough structure where – there's a point of reference or you could actually start swapping foods out and being like, Hey, you want know to feel better after I eat chicken later in the afternoon. You know, you want to keep notes, you know? So again, even someone who's not necessarily tied down to competing or a specific fitness goals, who just want to basically have an overall goal of just being in shape, whatever this and that, like pay attention to foods, have a variety, you know, let's say almond butter, although foods behave differently, use different foods. Um, 
have variety. You know, use olive oil instead of avocado or use cashews instead of almond butter. Use grass-fed beef instead of salmon. Use ground turkey instead of chicken. Have these things as an option, but just, you know, take note of what's going on. Even though you're not really getting ready for shows or have this huge, you know, photo shoot, whatever, it's cool to reference and see what actual foods are having an effect on you. Yeah. Yeah. So have flexibility. Yeah, I think that that. But there's there's more. I'm just not into the meat or macros. There's more progress, no matter what. If it's a competitor or non-competitor, there's going to be more progress if you're actually using specific foods. That's just my take on it. All right. Um, Let's see what else we got here on the uh, questions over here. More drug stuff. More drug stuff. (laughs) A bunch of drug stuff. How about this? Um, Will your body get desensitized to protein if taking oh this relates to our first stuff i think our first topic will your body get desensitized to protein if taking in 1.5 to 2 grams per pound uh of body weight for several months if so would it be a good idea to take it down say like to 0.75 grams per pound periodically to resensitize your body to protein i think you want to look at the other way around you want to use protein to resensitize your body to carbs that's how i look at it um, to me, if you want to be, I don't think you lose sensitivity to protein. I think there's more, I think there's glucose intolerance, that kind of loss of sensitivity. And that, if you want to say sensitive, if you're talking about sensitivity, think along more along the lines of glucose tolerance, insulin sensitivity. And that's going to be with what you do with your carbs in my mind. Um, I don't think you lose sensitivity to protein. Um, now, if you're not competing and you, you know, you don't really use gear anymore, just some TRT, whatever, like, you know, then you don't need the same protein counts at that point. Um, but if you're trying to grow and or maintain your protein counts should be either progressive or they should stay where they are. I wouldn't want to destructure protein. Cause then one thing is if you, if you're all of a sudden you take your protein down a couple ounces, you might metabolically become less challenged. And then you start, having a lower metabolic set point. So you want to use protein to maintain a, you know, your, and your metabolic set point. And I think if you want to look, look in terms of losing sensitivity, it's more, you want to think about more glucose intolerance or lack thereof glucose tolerance, insulin sensitivity, and play around with and deconstruct your carbs. I had a follow up here from when we were talking about insulin and growth hormone. Um, Insulin lowers growth hormone, though. So, how would that increase IGF one? Now, I can tell insulin you, doesn't lo- insulin doesn't lower growth hormone. Um, in, well, in- hormone can- go ahead. Growth hormone can diminish your insulin sensitivity. Well, he's talking about naturally, like output, like you, that that you are not going to see. I think that that's where the that's where there's confusion coming in because. You're not going to naturally produce growth hormone in a high insulinogenic state, just like you're not going to produce. Oh. you know, yeah. That was he saying both exogenous insulin. And he was talking about. Hormone? He was talking about. Uh, I I think he was looking at it being like from you know what you're naturally producing. So I'm confused. I think that's 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 what it is. Is that it doesn't so. Well, insulin. how about this? I mean, like, if you, well, one thing, okay, if there's too much insulin being produced, 
let's say your pancreas, like if you if you start if you start using too much, if you start producing too much insulin, or you start using too much insulin, um, you're going to lose sensitivity, and then if you lose glucose sensitivity, you do less IGF while you're taking growth hormone. But this is so. I think though what he's saying though this relates to naturally produced. If you inject growth hormone, what is happening? With, like you're, you know, it. You won't produce growth okay. hormone when your insulin levels are high, when your blood sugar levels well, high. I mean, the, but I, I see what I'm saying though. Question. That's yeah, that's I'll where I think the, the question. Maybe if I'm not answering or thinking correctly, but let's say like I don't know. If this is a roundabout. But way it doesn't. What I'm saying though is it doesn't matter. He's talking. He's not talking about injecting it. He's talking about that has to do with natural production. So I think that there's. So you're some saying if your pancreas there. is producing a lot of insulin because you're eating a ton of carbs, does that diminish your own natural release of growth hormone? Then yes, it does. Yes. Yes. No, I think that in that environment, if you take growth hormone, it might reduce the fat burning properties to it. But he's not taking yeah. any. Yeah, natural he's. Both. I, that's where there's just like I think there's yeah, some no, confusion that's, no, that's, here. That's what I'm saying. Because it's saying. very. We're talking about two different things. You and I. Yeah, I mean, I the think three... if someone. Yeah, like okay, if you go to bed, like for example, if you go to bed with a ton of sugar in your gut. In your early stages of sleep, you'll probably produce less of your own your own growth hormone. Yes, yes exactly. So. I, I get so that. Yes, for sure. If you're overweight and you're borderline type two, your growth hormone's low. But if oh, you're injecting that, growth yeah. hormone, yeah. it's irrelevant. You know, if you're right. using Absolutely. like a peptide that makes you release growth hormone, that's something different. But yeah, yeah like if you were took if you were to take iron Perlmer or CJC with a ton of sugar in your stomach, yeah, you'll probably wind up releasing less of your own growth hormone. Yes. So then you would have less IGF. So correct. Indirectly. Indirectly. Yeah, yes, you it's, less yeah. It's not. He's right. It's not direct, but could, All right. that could that could be an effect. Secondary effect. Um, Secondary. Stefan's back with a DC training question. So we'll we'll go there. Um, what do you guys think about high intensity, low volume training like DC? Because most scientifically based people like Mike Isertel uh, all the time are talking about uh, volume is the main driver of hypertrophy. First, Stefan, I would suggest checking out, you know what, if you want to message me after the show, because um, Scott Stevenson and I have done some really extensive discussions on this on the Muscle Minds podcast, um, there's, a, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to the topic. Basically, volume versus intensity is what it comes down to. Um, yeah. I think that there's there's validity for both sides, but I, I'll let mm -hmm. you guys take it. I mean, tell us a little bit about training, Dave. L instead of answering that, just tell me, man, what your approach, your coach who works with a lot of really big dudes, including big IFBB pros, you know, what has worked for your guys? Well, I know I'm annoying sometimes how I answer these questions, but I mean, there's more than one way of skinning a cat. Um, you know, you're talking about you want to recruit muscle fibers. So sometimes you can do a ton of volume or you can do short brief workouts with a higher intensity. But God forbid you did high intensity with volume too, right? I mean, um, basically, I know this sounds very old fashioned again, but it's it's these compound movements that are progressive overload that is what's going to is, is the, the way of doing it. Um, I don't I think after a while, if you're training, you can do a lot of high volume in a shorter period of time, too. I think if you're in the gym for more than 90 minutes, two hours, you're doing seven different exercises for chest. I think after a while, you'll be, it'll become counterproductive. Um, 
you know, I mean, the analogy of, and then with shorter, with higher intensity, shorter volume, to me, you're probably going to overall like going to see more of a growth response. Um, and it's harder, you know, it's harder to do the same amount of workload in a shorter period of time. Um, John, Le- John, you know, John Hancock, John Hancock wrote a letter, actually it was uh, uh, Ben, um, fuck, just please edit this out. we don't edit it's live it's live it's live we'll just we'll move on can we move on i've got an example i can give you for this question yeah so and because i've had this asked before okay so let's take a world class power lifter and a world level bodybuilder the same roughly the same weight they're on the same cycle similar food but their training is nowhere near the same who's got more lean muscle tissue probably the bodybuilder by a long shot Scott Stevenson and I have talked about this, I feel like, extensively. Like, we've talked about it for, I can literally say now for hours, hours and hours. And he's a guy who's really good at looking at the studies and, and seeing all the sides of it. Um, I I think there's a lot to it, but I think that the more trained, this is, the, if I can try to sum up my current thoughts, the more trained you are, the harder you have to push the higher your intensity has to be there's no doubt that you know the effective reps when i'm in the gym are not going to be as many as like if i'm working with a guy if i'm training with a client who's basically brand new everything he does is going to be you know effective and for me to get a stimulus to grow i have to do something that i hadn't done before and i can tell you that i spent years and years doing volume, high volume, very high volume, you know, like when I, and I, I say it all the time, you know, like when I worked out with Shelby Starnes, we did back workouts that were like two and a half, three hours long, you know, leg workouts were three hours long plus, And that worked up to a point. It worked up to the point that it yep. didn't anymore. And I had to change something. And, and the only thing that I've found personally to work has been to try to get more out of less i've had to and for me what it's been is increasing my ability to recover i couldn't recover from those workouts anymore you know for me i just don't have the recoverability to do that but i can get in there and work really really hard for an abbreviated period of time and then get out and recover and then go back and do it again well i remember those days you'd come to the you'd come to the show and your cns was shot yeah you like hitting your chair like slumped sideways and yeah. you were shot mentally because of it, you know. I remember that. Yeah, those. Yeah, those are. It was intense workouts. There's it, progressive overload, shorter duration in the workouts as you're as you get as you get going and, and more advanced trainer, because again, you can just more and more progressively more and more volume is not going to stimulate anymore. Um, and again, it goes down to if you're doing bent over rows at two seventy five, you're getting eight reps. You know, we talked about this in the last show. Then put maybe even if it's just a, a five pound plate on each side, get the same amount of reps or get more reps from the same weight. Either way, there should be a challenge, um, whether it's more reps of the same weight or more weight um, for the same amount of reps, um, you know, or handling or better with form. Either one of these above three um, is, is, a, is a stimulus. Um, doing one more exercise while you're already tapped out and exhausted for another 15 minutes is just, you're just beating a dead horse. Um, so you have to find ways of stimulating and you're probably as you get older and again, these workouts should become shorter and they should be more challenging. 
And guess what? It's going to require more intensity to challenge yourself in a shorter period of time to get results where your muscle fibers then have to respond and thicken up and grow. And again, as Scott was saying, you know, this happens, muscle doesn't grow during stimulation it happens during recovery. And if you find yourself doing two or three hour workouts every day, training six days a week, um, you're going to become overtrained. Your progress will stall. And if anything, you'll regress and become, if anything, catabolic and not sleep. And then the list goes on. Stimulate yeah. or annihilate. And everybody, here's That's the other thing. Said. That's what Lee Haney said. Here's the other thing, too, is everybody is going to be unique. You know, uh, Scott Stevenson had shown me a study where they had people who were doing like a particular high volume routine. And um, you could see like these, you know, 15 different people. You could see them charting. Where like, you know, some people were doing better. Some people weren't doing good. Some people were doing terrible. And then after they stopped, then they then they bounced back. You know, it's like it's all a matter of, you know, figuring out what works for you. I wish that there was like a study that would give us the answer. But I think that at the end of the day, and I think this is one of the reasons that people who have a lot of experience get really passionate about it, too. And they're like, no, these studies are wrong. I don't believe in studies and stuff because it's like. You know, there's this this the evidence we have of spending a lifetime in the gym is valuable. You know, it's like you you've seen so much, and it's like just because this piece of paper says this, you know, it's like. And then the other thing is, is that there's just there's so many different flaws to the studies too. You know, so it's like being able to read them. So I don't know. Yeah, the plus minus that people don't understand. And the ratios is very confusing. Oh, Stefan does listen to every episode of the Advices Radio stuff, so he knows everything about Scott Stevenson then. So appreciate you listening, man. Um, what else do we got here? Oh, we had a question about uh, corticosteroids from Max Holiday. Max Holiday lives out there in Texas. Holy shit, I can't see that. He does bass fishing. I yeah, think that he could be S2H's best friend. So cortisone shots for uh, pain relief, pros, cons, effectiveness, long-term, and is there potential for additional damage based on having a false sense of better function? I think he nailed that. Yes. He also says, wow. um, FYI, these things are for the shoulder is what he's looking to inject. Yeah, I've, I've had my fair share of them, so... Yeah, you, I mean, so cortisone shots, cortisone shots definitely, um, especially when, you know, you're talking about mostly taking them for tendon injuries, ligaments and stuff. I mean, they have their they have their place, but you can, I've definitely taken too many of them before some injuries and then re-injured myself on top of it. So that false sense of safety. Um, you know, cortisone, there's some, there's some stuff that shows it'll lower your testosterone levels. I, I don't really think it hits you that bad i think it's kind of overstated but if for a normal usage and if you're getting them all the time maybe but you know yeah and also scott let me ask you this um if they're used chronically let's say for elbow or shoulder let's say after a while don't you actually produce like less synovial fluid as well in yes. those areas like you you become you like build a, scar you tissue. Become the, uh, yeah and you start uh you start you start writing the great the brake pads you start metal on metal and um it's a quick fix, yeah, and they're connective tissue. Yeah, they have their purpose, but I think it's a, I think it's a limited use purpose. If if you're t- if you're using them, a, I'd say a lot is like you're going to get one. Well, most doctors won't give you one more than 
I think it's twice a month or so or three uh, weeks. Yeah, I think it's every three months. Oh, they yeah. backed off that far? I think so. Not my Pakistani doctor. But anyway, yeah, you got to be careful with him. That didn't sound racist at all. No. <laughs> he looks just like the guy flying not the 911 jet, I swear. <laughs> all right, let's move on before we uh, before we get a strike or something against us. Um, oh, yeah. Well, there's a, a terrorist cell right now, like Mickey Centrifuges. Yeah. What do we got Want to get back at us. Oh, I'll knock this one out myself really quick. Stefan is back. He's asking about handling acne. So he was just on, I think, like a grandma test. And if you're prone to acne, I think that that's no matter what. I feel like so what I found was uh, injection timing, even with even with a slower acting injection, if I broke it up into more frequency, that that helped. So going to like. Uh, a long acting test even every other day when I was getting breakouts that seemed to help going to a short acting like trend going to that every day seemed to help but I find that the worst time and I'm sure these guys will agree the worst time that you get acne is like when you're coming off and that your hormones are in fluctuation they're going up and down you can't really control it anymore um, he says he's already using antibiotics um, big factor and this seems you got to get it under control first. I would say don't cycle again until it's under control. And for some people, if you have a bad reaction, I really think that that's going to mean doing something like Accutane. But if you do that, then you got to do it through your doctor. Like I've seen, when I say I've seen Accutane through research sites, I mean that I've used Accutane from research sites. <laughs> and it worked, but I don't think it was the smartest move, you know. Um it's a harsh drug, but it, it definitely, for somebody who's very prone, it, it does work. I also feel like, tell me if you guys can relate to this. I feel like I'm less sensitive to side effects as I've progressed using gear over my life. Yep. Usually you see um, more sebaceous acne in the earlier, when younger people and earlier cycles. One thing is, um, Speaking of sebaceous acne, like, you know, the, these the sebaceous glands get clogged from hormonal fluctuations, as you said, you know, coming towards the end of a cycle. One thing is, um, topically speaking, um, if you're having issues, try to experiment with, like, believe it or not, I know, like, ivory soap, things that are non-scented um, or anything like that, just basic pH, you know, soaps that don't have all this fancy smelling stuff in it. Um, you might find yourself... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, mild exfoliation and stuff like that. Um, you'd be surprised, even if, it, if it's facial too, like a lot of times just washing your face, I know it sounds very generic, but washing your face several times a day um, with medium, you know, temperature water just kind of keeps your sebaceous stuff kind of, you know, open more. But yeah, Scott, you're right. Um, if you have deep sebaceous stuff and you're, you know, these big, huge bolus kind of acne stuff and cystic acne, yeah, that's a whole different animal. Um, you'd want to certainly wait till it dissipates a before cycling and B you got to see a dermatologist. I mean, they might, you know, Accutane or there's, there's some other compounds, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it can be tricky, but again, as you said, it's usually towards the end of end of cycles, or as you said, as time goes on, you're getting, you get less side effects. Usually it's people in their late teens, early twenties, mid, you know, low thirties that have more of the, the acne, but yeah. yeah the, more, the more stable your blood levels are, even if you're using uh, steroids, the the you know the less the let the lower the problematic it could be and the less problematic. Right. But, you know. I do think what I found was 
that was true except for when the doses got really high. Like you get to a point with it for me, like at a grandma test, it's like even if they were super stable, it's just so much androgen. It yep. just would my whole my whole like surface of my skin would get inflamed. It was uh, it was bad news. Okay, you know it's weird. Like some some guys they will won't break out on tests, but as soon as they add like Deca, oh yeah, they'll start breaking out. It also depends on the compound. So it also it's weird. It seems like nandrolone steroids, like in younger guys, like nandrolone steroids, like Deca or Trend. There's more of like that uh, oily, sebaceous kind of stuff, you know. And um, it seems like on the other end of the spectrum, like you know, masterone, propanate, and anavar, and winstrol, and stuff like that can do the opposite, where they actually dries out your sebaceous glands and gives you just drier, leathery skin too. You know, primavol mm. is a good drug for people to get acne. It yeah. is. It is. All right, David asks uh, insulin while dieting: pros and cons, and ideal applications. Um, he says, unless you've covered it hundreds of times. We haven't covered it hundreds of times. So that was nice of him to give really, us that caveat. Really touch on that. Yeah, I mean, like sometimes, I mean, insulin can definitely have its purpose during prep. I mean, a lot of times, let's say, for example, you know, when there's a high carb day, um, it could be, you could use, you know, insulin paired with it. I, you know, if it's a big, long, high carb day, you can use, you could attach some humulin R to it because you're going to get a six hour double peak, you know. Um, we talked about this last show, you know, hemolog is obviously more for post. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, it can be used. Um, as a matter of fact, like in the beginning of a diet, I, I definitely won't use it. Let's say there's a good amount of body fat to lose in the initial stages of prep. It'll definitely, it definitely won't be there. But as a person gets way leaner, um, I like to use it sometimes like with carb cycling and during higher days, um, not every high day, but especially towards the end when someone's really, really lean. And like if someone's having their glutes are carving out and they're really getting shredded, um, I like placing it. I like placing it on high days uh, when it's appropriate. Some people are not candidates for that at all. Some people, they can't even get remotely near it. Um, it also depends on if the individual's using it in the off season, if it segues into prep. I mean, there's, again, there's so many different uh, variables, um, but it, it can be effective. Um, when someone's lean during prep on certain days. All right. Um, let's see what else we have here. We had two people actually ask about Slayer. Okay, here's oh. one that I really wanted to touch on too. Joshua Hauserman asks, um, can you please explain how pre-exhaustion fits into your training? Uh, why would you implement it? And why does it work or not work? Well, I mean, Scott answers. You want to go first, or you want me to do it, hit it? Well, I always look at pre-exhaustion like warm-up, in a way. Um, I mean, coming from powerlifting and stuff, pre-exhaustion never really was one that really I got excited about. Because um, it takes away. But, <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, I I think that. I, I like to just say when people say pre-exhaustion, I, I have to figure out if they're just talking about warming up, or they're really talking about pre-exhausting the muscle. So, are you if you're going to do let's say biceps, are you going to do four sets of twenty with a sixty-pound bar? Is that a warm-up or a pre-exhaustion? For most people, it'd probably be a pre-exhaustion, depending on how long the breaks are between the sets. Or are you going to grab two thirty-pound dumbbells and do, you know, two sets of fifteen or eighteen and take thirty seconds in between, then get into your workout? So mm -hmm. I, I like the warm-up part. I don't really like the pre-exhaustion where you're really just 
you know, using uh, high reps, lower weight, kind of exhaust the muscle. Um, I mean, there's probably a place for it in some ways, but I, I'm, I'm a big believer in even cutting for a show, train the way you're, you've been training all along. You know, the yep. old way used to yep. be like jump your reps way up, and I don't think that works very well. So I'm not a big yep. pre-exhaustion person. There's a direct correlation between how you're, how the way you train and how your muscles look. If, and Scott made a point. A lot of people make him say, okay, it was pre-contest now, so I'm just going to go really super high reps, whatever. But that's different, um, though. He's talking about... No, 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 but, but getting to... No, I get I get it. That's the point. Okay. My point is, is that um, I think like some guys have these like gigantic shoulders and they do yes. chest and their shoulders, their, their anterior delt takes over in the movement first. Yeah. So sometimes let's say doing like pec deck or cable crossovers first to, you know, pre-exhaust where you're actually contracting your pecs and this way there's blood there. And you, then you go to the inclined barbell press. And then of course, if you're positioning yourself correctly and you're trying to eliminate your anterior delt as much as possible anyway, during the movement, but then when your pecs are, you know, like warmed up and there's blood in there, the concept is, is that then your pecs will move the weight more as opposed to your anterior, anterior delt taking over or wanting to take over. Um, you know, maybe um, let's say someone has great posterior delts and great anterior delts, but their medial delts are lagging. You know, then when you start off shoulders to hit, you know, you hit lateral raises first, target your medial delts first, and then go on to your pressing movement or an upright row or whatever. So I think there's a time and a place, but I think um, – Scott was saying just even just, you know, there might be some warming up, whatever, but I think people, you know, get, get warm, get right to the compounds. Yeah. And that's a good point because why would I want to pre-exhaust my chest? I'm doing chest. So when I go heavy, I'm going to transfer that weight to my deltoids trap in my triceps, my lats and everything else. I will disagree. I'm I'm going to disagree with you guys. We're right and you're wrong, but go ahead. I, uh, (laughs) I was one of those people where, well, first of all, when I first started training, I had, I, I can't say like, oh, I had shoulders, but no doubt, no, no chest. I didn't have any muscles at all, you know, but then after the first year or so I started growing muscle and I ended up, uh, I ended up not having a good chest, but my shoulders grew pretty well. And it's because I was pressing, you know, with my shoulders, everything I did, all my presses were shoulders, shoulders, shoulders. Um, and I ended up doing my first show. And one of the things I wanted to do after that was bring up my chest in my back and my legs <laughs> and my shoulders and yeah, everything. But, um, what I did though, was I, I started pre fatiguing and, um, this is another one, Scott and I, Scott Stevenson and I did a show on this. Now, uh, if, if you, so if I, if I get right into it, then, and I never change to that, like, say like I warm up and then I get right into it then I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done and my shoulder is going to keep taking over and then they're going to get tired and that they're going to fatigue and then I'm going to finish the set before my pecs really got fully activated. So if I get in there and what I started doing was I started doing pec deck out the gate and I at the time I did like five sets and you know did like 16 reps. 14 reps, 12 reps, just like working up, pyramiding up. Now when I do it, because I still do it, um, now I just use as heavy as I can and do like one all out set with hard squeezes. And like I really blast it. And no, I can't I can't do as much on my chest press when I do that. But my chest gets a lot more activation and I can take it to failure a lot better so for me it works no no we were yeah i agree with you on that point um you can also do 
let's see, as I mentioned, the medial delts lagging, you do medial delts first before you do a shoulder press. Or, you know, some people, when they do rows, barbell rows, T-bar rows, they, they use their brachialis, they use their arms too much when they're pulling. Yeah. So yeah. to do, let's say, a pullover, like a Nautilus pullover or a, where you're really upright, you're doing a close grip pull down, you're contracting like prior to doing your rows. Yeah, your rectors, rhomboids are stimulated so that when you do row, let's say your arms are not as involved in your brachialis. Yeah, so I mean, there's definitely time and places for it. Um, and the way you mentioned it, that's it was it was good you did that. You that's a, that's where I would put it. I like I wouldn't do it just to be like, hey, I'm gonna try this for a while. But for me, no, no, I like, get it. Yeah, like I have this guy that just came over here, 29 year old kid, big kid. He reminds me of like the way he's built is like the way Ron Partlow is built, like the six foot kind of guy who looks. You know, six foot tall, wide, thick structure, you know, bone structure like 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 Ron has. And um, he's got great shoulders and he's stronger. His overhead press, I think he, I can't remember what he said, if he does like 125s or something. But then on his incline press, he does like 120s. So, you know, it's like like at, at the most. And so we went back. We started working together. He came over yesterday. We trained. And that's what I'm prescribing to him is to pre-fatigue his chest because his shoulders are just going to crank all day long. Yep. And that pec is just never going to get activated. It is humbling because you're probably not going to be able to press as much as you can when you get to the chest movements. I'll ask you this when you lift them again. Look how flat how flat is his back on the bench when he presses. And I bet you it's flat, real flat. Yeah. What I really looked at was where his elbows were because his elbows. Well, yeah, because like, if your back's flat, your elbows are going to come out. Yeah. You mentioned that in the last episode. Yeah. You you press with a very flat back. We talked about it. You know, I think if you if you squeeze your rhomboids together and arch your back a little bit yep. and got your I do lower that the, back just a little bit off, you would have get more chest. You get you hit more pec, and and you and you keep those elbows in more. I do that on the um, on the uh, what do you call it the barbell press. I pin my traps against the against the bench basically. Yeah. I find yeah yeah I find that 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 does help. That makes sense because kind of what you're saying is is you're arching your back, you're pushing your chest out. Called the wedge. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm not a powerlifter. Then you'd obviously. have to go from like 150s to 200s. Or something because you're up to like 150s now or something, are you? I don't think. Uh, no, not quite that much. <laughs> I don't. I think I do arch more now, honestly. Yeah, a little bit. I was watching you on Instagram. I was daydreaming. Did you see my my new set? <laughs> I've seen it all, baby. You get my likes. You know it. You get my likes. Scott messaged me. He was like, "Hey, um, just to let you know, I'm going to be leaving Facebook soon." I'm like, "You never post anyway." I know. I'm just going to leave anyway, though, because I hate Facebook. Yeah, Scott has a Facebook. I actually um, sent you a message on Instagram one day. Yeah? Not too long ago. Okay, let's just jump straight to it then. Um, what do you got for Dave, Scott? We got the Ask DK questions. You oh, get boy. one minute. It's the mad minute for question. Ready? Oh, boy. Ready. <laughs> what is one supplement... Supplement being either PD or just any kind of regular supplement that you use or put into plans that listeners would be su- surprised by and why? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, if you guys have any sleep issues, magnesium, 5,000, 500, 2,000 milligrams with your last meal 
I'm really huge in magnesium, also just for cardiac realignment. And there's other issues for some people who are constipated, like mm-hmm. magnesium serves a lot of purposes. So I'm actually really big on magnesium as well as zinc prior to bed. <laughs> um, and I think nice. that um, you want to make sure, like I'm, I go between 500 and 1,000 milligrams of, zinc, of magnesium and 50 milligrams of zinc a day for a million trillion reasons. Um, I just think that is a huge importance. And so many people have magnesium deficiencies. A, a lot of steroid users have magnesium deficiencies. And Good one. Oh, your minutes, your minutes up. Did we lose him? We lost him. His minute is up. He, I guess that bring, was it. Bring him back on. I got more. Yeah. What happened there? That was a quality question there. I, that was a good answer. I thought it was too. Oh, there he is. Hold on. He We're going to bring him back in. Dave Kalik is joining. Let's see. I'm going to bring him in here. What there happened to you? Sorry about that. What happened to you? Just dropped, shit just dropped out of nowhere. I don't know why. All right. Ready for question two? Yep. Best rear double bicep, Doran Yates, Lee Haney, or Flex Wheeler? Doran Yates. Rear double Keep bicep. in mind, with, I mean, I, I like I like Flex. You keep it wrong, but so much of that, so much of what made up that rear double was the a lot of oil, oil sites. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like uh, well, to this go, day, I don't I mean, want to know Doran Haney just, or uh, Wheeler? Doran. I'm gonna have to pick Wheeler with a rear double. But Ooh, we'll, ooh we got a. Well, well, I'd actually take Haney and Wheeler over Doran with a rear double. So, really? But that's you know, yeah. I think they. I, I just like it's an aesthetic thing too. I think so. No, uh, I, that, know, part is what it is. that part of it. That part of Okay, number three. If you could only coach one former Mister Olympia and as your only client starting tomorrow for the rest of your life, who would it be? Anyone, any former hey, Mr. Olympia. You mean like while he Who's was it? at his peak? No, yeah, while he was at his peak. Yeah. Yates. Doran Yates. Yeah, I already, I already, I already worked with Sean Roden for his first one, um, for his first Olympia prep. He um, looked fantastic with you one. too. Just remember, this is the Thanks. only client you'll ever ever have again for the rest of your life. Doran Yates. You talking about former Mr. Olympia? Man, I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't. I really don't know. I can't well, answer that. Wheeler. I like Flex Wheeler. So yeah, I'm, yeah I'm but never wait, wait, wait. Former Mr. Olympia or former just Olympian? Oh no, former Olympian. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, because Flex never won it. Um, although you know what's crazy, uh, Renel Jean Vier, uh years ago, oh, yeah. I actually trained with him, well, and I learned school. a lot about bodybuilding from him. Yeah. And actually, if you, for you listeners, I know Renel Jean Vier, he took second to Sean Ray at the Arnold Classic in 1991. He should have beat he beat Sean Ray, as far as I can, a lot of people are concerned. But this guy was just a freak. I wish I could. It would be great. It would be fun to work with him. Uh, currently, now, you know, if that were possible. I mean, he's long since retired, or whatever. But uh, this guy was so ahead of his time. Um, talk about shredded glutes. Tell you what, Tony Pearson had a good rear double too. Yeah, he did. To this day. All right, number four. Okay. Who would bench more, Skip or Mrs. Skip? I I gotta say, Mrs. Skip. Yeah, he's a winner. I think you're right. Yeah, I'm I'm going with that. I'm going with that, Mrs. Skip. I think that was the the, that's your final answer. I think you're correct. I'm going. That was that's my first. 
and final. That's the impulse <laughs> and the final. Yeah, that's I'm going to skip. Well, that was my uh, that was my ass DK segment. I like that. That was so. good. You actually and you prepared that yeah. too. Yeah, I thought of all those in like a minute. <laughs> that was good. That was very good. Yeah. So oh, that'd be interesting. Put him on the spot a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do so, that. I'll hit you up next time. So what's going on now? Um, so we just had nationals, which is traditionally the last NPC, you know, uh, qualifier pro qualifier of the year. But that's not the case, right? We have what's coming up next, and you're heading there, right? USA. Um, well, first next this week we're going to go fly to my wife's aunt's place in Titusville, Florida. We'll be there, and then we come back, and then uh, the USA. Fingers crossed, they keep it in Vegas. Yeah. Um, which is so weird. It's so surreal to talk about the USA being after nationals yeah. and before the Olympia. <laughs> so everybody knows you then the following weeks, I'm going to come home, be home for three days and then fly to Orlando for the Olympia, which as everyone knows, the Olympia has now been moved to Orlando, which is evidently at the same venue that they just had nationals at this weekend. So I just pulled up, I downloaded some of the pictures of your clients, uh, and I'm having a hard time grabbing them right out the gate here. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull them up though. Who are who's that? Who's the black dude that you're working with? Chris Robinson. He's doing supers. Super heavyweight. That's a bodybuilding name there. Yeah, yeah it is, Robinson. isn't it? Yeah, Eddie Robinson, Robbie Robinson. Here's another Robinson, Chris Robinson. Yeah. Where's he out of? Um, he's out of um, Las Vegas. And uh, he'll be doing the super heavyweight class. Nice, big guy, big, big guy. guy. Yeah, he's oh, cool! Guy. I got. I figured out how to get to him. I just pulled these off of your uh, off of your WhatsApp that you sent me. Um, what about? Oh, it's going to take me a minute. Who's that other guy? Steve Crookenberg is doing heavyweights. Okay. Yeah. Now that both of these guys look pretty incredible. Oh, here we go. I got him. Now, if I can get back to you guys, boom! There we are. Here we are. So here was, what was the first guy's name? Chris Robinson. Chris Robinson. This isn't the best yeah. picture of him. He's doing like a side double in his bathroom. I've seen him. I've seen other shots of him where he's looking. I mean, this is incredible. Don't get me wrong. But I've seen him like posing a little bit better than this. Because uh, he's kind of, huge. It's like in his. It's like you know, because it's in the it's in the bathroom. He's kind of twisted sideways and stuff. But I mean, he looks like he's in great shape. And yeah, he's got crazy arms, crazy legs, crazy shape in general. Yeah, he's uh, very cartoon-like. What does he weigh? He's about two seventy-five right now. Okay. Um, How tall is he? He's six feet. Um, yeah, he's, he's been coming down slowly. His uh, start-off weight, he maxed out weight-wise at three hundred five okay. during the off-season. Okay. Athletic background. Yeah, football. <laughs> A lot of football. So uh, powerlifting. Uh, powerlifting yeah that and and football and uh yeah and that's obviously where his base structure comes from yeah he has that he has that that core powerlifting build um yeah yes his waist is like uh, about half the size of mine and this guy's a heavyweight yeah Yeah, and uh steve's a heavyweight yeah he looks pretty incredible man he's in great shape what's his stats he's excited for him he's um, he's about five nine and a half five ten and he's probably 227 in that picture. Okay. Um, yeah, he's granite. Yeah, no um, kidding, man. How old is he? He's 32. Okay. He just turned 32. 
Yeah. It's so, his social uh, security number. <laughs> one, <laughs> yeah. so I'll give you the physical address. Yeah. He's uh both of them both of them are are very hard workers. That's um, cool. What man. gym is that? Is that gym um, by that's you? In San Diego. And with uh with, with Chris uh Robinson, so my partner, you know, Sam McQuay, my physique ink partner, he's been helping Chris tremendously with the posing. Like I do the prep, nice you know, the foods and the prep. And Stan does all this, uh, corrects his posing, and Stan's an amazing, he was one of the best posers, period, himself, you know? Yeah, yeah, he was. So it's been, it's been amazing him, like, he just, what's great about Stan is that he can look at someone and just do minor adjustments, it just changes the whole look of yeah. how someone's pre- presenting themselves, and I think a lot of bodybuilders, they forget, they, they forget how important presentation is, and it's like, what Gary, you didn't, you know, uh, Steve Weinberger told me over the years, you know, we can't judge what we can't see. Presentation is, is hugely important, so it's been great having Stan be involved with this. For that, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And you coach Stan all through his uh, pro career, right? Yep, every all of his uh, five uh, IPB wins, we've been working together. Whew. So, and he won. How many, uh, IFBB, how, many, how many IFBB wins do you have with a as a coach coaching someone? You probably, you know, you probably haven't even counted, Dave, have you? <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been a good ride. And uh, what Stan was really cool because he, um, keep in mind, like he won the very, the 212 division started off because in 2009, and it started off as the 202 division. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Stan actually won the very first, it's called the Jacksonville Pro. And uh, I remember that. You know, yeah. And I was he won the very first one. And then he came um, to Detroit. That was that was Dexter Jackson's. Then he won Detroit as yep. the next one. That show was so and weird, that, dude. But it was at Cobo Hall, and it was supposed yeah. to be like this big expo. And then it turned out to be like military recruiters, and I paid ten dollars to get in to see that. Yeah, so <laughs> just you could have just talked to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. So when you won that one, that was when the division was yeah. was uh two was the division was two ten. Oh, and then was, the last okay. yeah, and then um, when you won the two when when you won two twelve. As it, when they made the division to go from two ten to two twelve, um, that was um, in upstate. That was in uh, upstate California, um, and that was the last qualification he did in that class. And then he won two shows in classic. Hmm. And that so would have been like the five. Flex Lewis dominant era, probably, wouldn't it? Or he was in the tail end of that. No, like he, for example, like when David Henry was, um, well, when, like, who was uh, the 212 guy, the 202 guy that won back then was, what's his name from New York? God, I'm blanking on his name. Just massive guy. He had a Jose? struggle to come down. No. No, not Jose. This black guy. Um, I keep looking blank on his oh, name. He was the first. Kevin, um, Kevin. Kevin. Kevin English. Kevin English. Yeah. Kevin English. Yeah. So that was, that was the Kevin, that was the Kevin English era. And then Kevin the English is time, crazy. He's crazy. And then last time Stan was as a 212 that's exactly right that was when that, that was the flex lewis error of course um i almost wonder if stan they, would have done better now because he used to have to go up against guys like yeah like kevin english guys like jose raymond you know yeah and now and keep in mind, nowadays yeah, though like look at george the bull like he could potentially be our next 212 olympian and yeah, he has such so much more of, aesthetic and that's what that's what yeah. stan was it's funny. Well, those guys were Stan cutting was, a ton of weight to make that class. Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, those guys, like Kevin English was cutting a ton of weight. Yeah. 
You know, it's funny yeah. when what Sans, Sans uh, second Olympia when the class was at that point was two, was the 210 class. And it's funny because so Stan finished seventh in two of those Olympias, um, the 210 and, and the 212. He actually finished sixth or seventh. And um, it's funny you say that about Kevin English because he would have to – remember we saw Kevin at the gym. This is three days before the show. And he's got to make 210 because it was 210 at that point, not 212, the class. And we're like, you know, Kevin, how much do you weigh? And he was like something like 227 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, like he was like he was like 240 like three weeks out. And then like three days out, he was like 227. He had to lose like 17 pounds. And he's like, yeah, I'm just not eating so I, <laughs> I know a guy that worked with him for a while, and he said it was a lot of weight. Yeah, and it was very right at the end. And it was a lot of weight. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was, like was twenty pounds in a week. Yeah, yeah, no, literally, yeah, exactly. Like seventeen to twenty it's like pounds. Like wrestlers for weight. In three hours, like he would be like spitting, swigging the sauna, like everything you can imagine, exactly to get down to weight. Mm. And he really was like two forty, like two weeks out. Yeah. And he would literally come down and lose fucking thirty pounds in three weeks. No, back I think I remember was, specifically he was 242 three weeks out. Yeah, just crazy, crazy. You have to lose all that. So back to uh, Scott, back to Stan. He was he won his final show too. Which which what show was that? That was like down in the Caribbean or something. So yeah, so the, the first um, classic physique show he won was Utah. Uh, he won that, um, and then the very last show, the, the retirement yeah. show. Wrestler. We had a, we flew out to the Dominican Republic, yeah. And um, having him win that show as his retirement show is uh, yeah, priceless. You can't. He qualified for the 2019 Olympia. He could have done that, right? He sure did. Yeah, but he just he was so you know burned it out of the point. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget that night because uh, man, um, there was just a lot of a lot of celebration that night in Dominican. Let's put it that way. You'll never so forget I'll never it, but you'll also never remember it either. Yeah, I don't remember most of it, but uh, it was it was fun. Um, you know, uh, it was crazy out there. It was, it was great. It was great to see him win. You know, the very last show. Um, yeah. I haven't been. So you're going to be going fun. out to the Olympia. So you're going. So this is all going to be all back to back. Basically, you're going to USA's. Well, actually, you're going to visit the the. You're going well, to first. Visit we're going to visit my my wife's aunt, my wife's aunt, and. Titusville, Florida. Then we're going to, we're leaving this Tuesday. We're going to come back the following Monday, and then the following Wednesday I have to fly out to Vegas because there's also the Masters USA the day before the USA. Oh yeah. So I have we have to get out there on Wednesday because I have a Masters USA client that's competing on Thursday. Okay. Um, and then the actual USA clients, right? Then we'll come home that's Sunday, and then I fly out Wednesday, the following week to Orlando for the Olympia. What do you think about uh, Stefan? Just asked us too. He was like, uh, "What do you think about special end of invite of Big Rami to the Olympia?" I didn't even know he was going. Yeah, I remember he had COVID. And he had dropped yeah. out of the show, and then they invited him. Okay. I think some of that was tied into the fact that keep in mind it was like three calendar days prior to that that Flex Lewis said he had to drop out uh, because of his shoulder. Yeah, and knowing that Big Rami would be a big draw, they. they granted him the invite yeah that makes sense they I mean, wanted to keep it big you know keep the show exciting i mean in, in other years i don't really agree with it but for this year um i think it's kind of cool that they invited him and I, I don't have a problem with it do you think they could have opened that up more and done a few more invites no you know what because they like 
ironically, they actually, even though with limited shows this year, they we actually they actually pulled together a pretty good lineup. Um, if you think about it, I mean, a lot of guys are getting their visas. I really hope that uh, you know that we can see um, what's his name get his visa, um, Hadi Chopin, because yeah. to me, as you know, for me, he was a star of last year's Olympia. You know, he took third. But let me tell you something. I mean, he. I mean, nothing against Brandon. Brandon's amazing, round and everything like that. But to me, you know, again, Hadi really was like everybody. Like he was the star of the show, and you know, if it was a rec- any other contest, I see him. He would have been the winner. I just think he just looks so fucking nuts. And he's one of the guys where everyone was looked like your eyes were. Let's put this way: your eyes were drawn to him more than anybody on stage. Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying he's a better bodybuilder. Um, you know, uh, but he certainly. Those three spots with Brandon, you know, um, could have been uh, could have been they could have been flipped around uh, with, without a problem. Yeah, yeah. I I think, and I'm you know I'm a big Curry fan, and part of it was because I kind of saw it coming. Like I saw it like before the Arnold, I was like, oh yeah, this guy could do some really crazy stuff, and then he did. And then from there, he was like on everybody's radar. So I kind of felt like, you know, you know, I, I had been following him, you know, and since since he was amateur, really, I remember him turning pro. So I, you know, this last few years, I've been a real big Brandon Curry fan. And I'll be the yeah. first to say he was not the best Brandon Curry at this last Olympia. But when I talked to him about it, uh, we did an interview after the Olympia. It was with Scott Stevenson, maybe. He said that, you know, everything just like went perfectly for the Arnold and he was just getting better and better versus the Olympia. It's like his body just wasn't cooperating with him and they didn't have, they never had to pull food down before, like going into the Arnold, they were adding carbs to keep him going, going into the yep. Olympia. They were trying to pull food back and he was eating less. And I, I think now in the, with all the time that he's had and maybe even COVID could be even possibly helpful because he hadn't had to like travel as much. He could just like hunker down. Yeah. I, I think we're going to see a really amazing Brandon. I think no, he's going to be dangerous. I, you know, I believe Brandon will, I believe Brandon will be at his best and keep in mind, like in, uh, you know, William Bonock was in that top three and William's yeah. phenomenal too. But I think what we're really, I don't think we'll see him there. Orange. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not the apple orange pair of those three, you know, and mm. I think you're right. Um, Brandon will be sharper because, look, let's face it, it is many, most of the guys are going to, let's say you take a regular year or shows. It seems like the guys, when they qualify early in the year, I'm going to say nine out of 10 times, they look better at their qualifying show than the Olympia because, you know, you got to do these peak one more time later in the year. You have estradiol levels creeping up at a note. Like, you know, there's so many different moving parts that get that become cumulative, which can then go wrong where, in Brandon's case, like he had to deconstruct, he had to de- come down with calories and not, you know, be, yeah, there's no doubt it's hard. And I think you're right. I think we're going to see some cool looks from these guys that were already qualified that didn't have to compete this year. Like you might see a really cool look of Nathan Dasha, let's say, for example. He didn't have to do any shows. Or some of these guys that are already qualified, you'll probably see some really cool looks. I think, like, that's why I think Hadi Chopin, I think he'll look scary. And I think yeah. Big Romney should look pretty amazing too, you know. Hadi, keep in mind, he was only 217 pounds last year. Yeah, yeah. 217. And keep in mind, he was destroying guys like the six foot one, you know, like he was killing those guys, you know. Um, and, you know, I mean, Jesus, I mean, uh, Akeem Williams, those guys, he was killing them, 
you know, at, at 217. And rumor has it he's going to be like, if he gets his visa, like 224, 225. That's to me, if he's just as hard, which he will be, that's going to be fucking scary. Look, and I, I still think Phil Heath is going to win. My, but my, my prediction so far in order, in order. Oh, here we Phil. go. We got the predictions, yep. Phil. All right. Yep. I'm going to give you top five in order. I think it's going to be Phil. And I think Brandon, because he was last year's, and I think he'll be better. And I think Hottie will be solidified himself in third again. If William did make it, I see him as fourth. Um, I can see that. And I see Rami as fifth. Dexter, Dexter or Roly swapping out sixth. That's my uh, that's my go to right there. Roly's a wild card. Yeah, because he's on. Like if he was on, remember at the Olympia the year prior when he got third. Yeah. And he won the fans award. Yeah. yeah. If he took that look, he's going to be in the field. He's going to be top four, top five. Which is greatest. But if he's off and he's cramping on stage and spilled and filmed over, my analogy like to him year, is like yeah. a funny car that's going to either tear straight down the track and just blow everything away, or he's going to explode. Yeah. It's going to be one of the two. It's like not going to be in yeah, between. Yeah, if, if, if he's like last year where he was not lean enough, filled over, cramping, all that stuff, it'll be yeah, it'll be the same kind of a thing. Hmm. But if he's on like he was two years prior to that. And if you see his cheekbones sticking out during the meet and greet, he's going to be deadly. So you, uh, you see Dexter is going to get pushed out of the top six previous Mr. Olympia. No, I think, I think he can, I think he stays in the top six. If someone like if, if the Rolly Winklers are off, if so, if one of the abilities above guys is really, really off, but I just can't see him <coughs> overwhelmingly volume. I, I just don't, the those, size. Guys, those guys you mentioned are just on. It's not going to happen now. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to that see him Dexter last year. Yeah, yeah, Dexter. I don't. See, yeah, I'm not trying How to be negative. And I, How old is Dexter? 51. 49. He's 50 now. No, he's 50. He is 50 now. And I think actually, I think he's going to turn 40, 51, or he's just about to. I know he was born in 1969, like I am. So he's 50, so he's either 50 or 51. Yeah. Yes, I'm that old. Yeah, I wish I looked that way at 50. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I got right, my 25 right. pound bar over here I'm fixing to work on in a minute. So. All right. Well, let's yeah, get out of here. It, it, is, it is remarkable how he looks. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. yeah. He's something else. Thanks for being with us, Dave. We appreciate it. Likewise, guys. Thanks for having me on. Great time, Dave. Thanks for class. coming out. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. Next time, I, I'm going to have a, a Q&A for you. I'm going to write a lot of four questions. When you're down my way, look me up. Okay. I'll take you out for I some will. good steaks. Scott, no, that, uh, great. We'll definitely, <laughs> definitely that was fantastic. That. <laughs> Scott came up with the, the, the questions, up. the Ask DK questions today. Grant, that was fantastic. I know McNally was stressing that because he's like, this guy can't think of anything good. And I'm like, just <laughs> let me do it. I text him. I go, let me ask him. He's like, what are they? I'm like, just let me okay. do it. That's good. That's good. We should make question, that a segment. The best, question, the best question, it goes without saying, was who benches more? Miss Hill or, or Skip or, or Miss that was the best question. Yeah. Miss Hill. Hey, we know and, that. And everybody watching the live feed, thank you guys very much. We appreciate all your questions and for spending yeah, your you, Sunday really. nights with us. We we uh, we enjoy doing this with you guys. So thank you for being here too. With Thanks that said, us. for another episode of Blood, Sweat, and Gear with S2H and Dave Kalick, I'm Scott McNally. We'll see you guys. Thanks, guys. Later.